So now I'm in my 10th year, the golden year, right? And he uh, he goes, wow, D- uh, Dustin Lynch and Al Dean cut a song this week. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. So I'm calling mom going, hey, okay. So <laughs> pep talk works. So like, maybe I'm going to become a songwriter. Then the next week, it was like the Swan Brothers and Montgomery Gentry and Love and Theft cut your songs. It's like, oh my gosh. Okay. Hello, and welcome back to The Big Break, where we shine a light on how songwriters working largely behind the scenes found success in the music business. I'm Anthony Bruno, your host, and this week, we're joined by Adam Craig. Adam's got experience on both sides of the coin, if you will. He's pursued a career as a recording and touring artist for many years, and was even named by Rolling Stone as one of the top 10 country acts to know in 2016. But he's recently decided to put the road to rest, and he's focusing on his passion for songwriting, which he's also had quite a bit of success with as well. Adam has contributed to such cuts as Church Pew or Barstool by Jason Aldean, Love and Theft's Whiskey at My Breath, Parmalee's Close Your Eyes, and many others. So in this episode, Adam provides some great perspective as a songwriter who's also had a foot firmly in the performer camp. He talks about publishing deals, uh, he has some good stuff about how to lose those publishing deals, and basically how just focusing on the work will usually deliver the goal at the end, which I'm a big fan of. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do as well. So with that, here's Adam. Adam, thank you for joining the show today. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So where are you calling us from today? I am from, or I'm, I'm calling from my little studio here in Goodlettsville, Tennessee. All right. But that's, I'm guessing that's not where you're originally from. No, no, no. I'm originally from a place called Tenino, Washington, which is essentially, it's on the I-5 corridor right in the middle of Portland and Seattle. So I, I grew up in the the country and people are always like, there's country out in Washington state. And it's like, yeah, oh, heck yeah. for real. Like, so I grew up on a cattle farm and um, it's pretty funny because now, you know, living in Nashville for 16 years, I've been to every state and I swear to goodness, 20 miles out of every major city looks like Kentucky. So <laughs> that's, that's pretty much uh, Tonino. Well, I got to ask you, the um, uh, what, what, what I'm picking up what I would consider to be an accent. Is that something you had while you were in Washington or is that something you uh, that you adopted after being in Nashville for so long? I, I, don't, I pr- don't even notice it. So it's prob- probably just, yeah, I'm... I can I can adapt to wherever I am. It feels like like I swear no. if I'm in Boston, I'm like oh yeah, go park the car. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. But, but but that makes sense. I mean, I can, it, 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 it totally makes sense. But I just I was just wondering because when I first started talking to you, I would have guessed that you're that you're from the south right off the bat. So I'm a product of my surrounding. I guess there you go. There you go. So. um uh, this is this isn't this is not how I would normally start these off, but late, lately, so far this year, I've been having to ask how you've been handling um, the whole pandemic, stay-at-home closures, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How's that been affecting you professionally, personally, etc.? It's absolutely crazy. Just like everybody else, it's affecting. I mean, it's just it's the most it's the strangest thing we've ever gone through, and hopefully, the strangest thing we'll ever have to go through. But um, with with saying that we're also trying to find positives and be as, be as productive and, and creative as possible. And there has been some of the best songs I've ever written over zoom. And then some of the shittiest songs I've ever written in my life over zoom. So it's like, (laughs) it's both ends of the spectrum, but I, I think as soon as we get out of this and everything goes back, I think, 
there's going to be so many great songs and so many great artists that emerge out of this. And, um, I'm, I'm hopeful and very eager and very excited to, to see what happens. So it's, it's like that metaphor with the, uh, the, the piece of sand and the oyster, right? Where it's, it's that irritant that gets, uh, gets layered over and over and over again until it becomes a pearl. Is that a it? pearl? Exactly, man. I mean, it really is. This is such a weird, weird time. And then it's like, there's a bunch of new artists that you start to, to work with and they're, you know, at first you write on zoom and then they're like, uh, man, would you be uncomfortable if we wrote in person? It's like, no, man, I'm in whatever y'all want to do. So, I mean, it's already starting to get back to writing in rooms again. And, and it's just so cool because you get to sing with people again, like on zoom, everything's delayed. Right. So if you try to sing harmony with somebody, cause you're just <laughs> feeling it, it is a train wreck. Like, it's just, and, and then it cancels like different audios out of two people talking at the same time. So there's been all sorts of fun little obstructions to, to, you know, work through, but getting back in a room and, and writing and being creative and, and doing what I personally feel is what I was put here to do is, is to write songs and, and be creative. And it's so funny though, at the same time. So I, I used to be an artist and when I kind of, transitioned back into not traveling, which nobody's traveling right now, but just completely changing my mindset into writing songs and kind of being behind the curtain again. Um, there was a couple month stretch where I felt like I forgot how to write a song. I remember mul multiple times I would, I would get out of my little studio room and I'd go talk to my fiance, Emily, and it'd be like, and she's also in the music industry. She works for Brad Paisley's company and she's a publisher. She's a badass. But so I, I would, I would, I would have, I'd have such a great ear to, to talk to. And I was like, man, I think I forgot how to do this. I don't, I, I don't know where the song's going. I don't have ideas. Like it was just chaos when this thing first started. So luckily <laughs> we've worked through all of that, but it's, you know, I'll talk to buddies that, that, you know, cause you don't want to, you don't want to feel like, Oh man, if I, if I tell them this, they're going to know that I feel insecure about my writing right now or whatever. But then you have a couple beers and you start talking and they're like, dude, I went through the same thing. And it's like, yeah. everybody went through it. Everyone's got the same secret fears. Uh -huh. But you know what? I, 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 I it's weird. I, I've asked everyone this question for the last several months now, but I just thought of this next one, which was, you know, do you think, I mean, you've been in the business for a while. You've been writing. You've, you know, you've had you've had your your groundwork laid, and so you're adapting to the situation. How do you feel, or have you experienced any um, working with people that are really like starting out, that are really new, who who are dealing with this on top of the fact that they have no foundation yet? That you know, is is it harder to break in now as a new as a newer writer? Do you think, or is it easier? I mean, I, I have no idea. Like, or, or maybe you I don't mean, know either. I just wanted to bring it up. It's it's hard no matter what, like it's, of course. it is extremely difficult. I mean, gosh, I can't remember the stat, but th uh, there was this, this astronomically ridiculous stat for um, a college athlete to make it to the NFL or whatever, or to the major leagues or, or whatever it may be. Right. It's like ridiculously low. Well, songwriting and being an artist and being a successful artist, it's even worse. <laughs> like the, the stats are just terrible. Like you have a better shot at, at finding two pieces of sand on a beach that match like that, that type of thing. So it's already hard. However, there is a, a ton of new outlets with DSPs 
And I mean, radio is still king, you know, but it's like there's all the social media and there's always new new forms of social media popping up where people are, are, are getting so much exposure and getting their songs out there and getting their artistry out there. So when I first moved to Nashville, there wasn't any of that. It was in 2004. I mean, I think I still had a Nokia brick phone. Like (laughs) the coolest game was snake. Like there wasn't anything to, to get your music out except for getting a record deal and, and praying your, your label will kick ass and get you out in front of people. But now, I mean, yeah, Spotify, Amazon, or yeah, Amazon, Apple. Um, there's, there's so many different avenues to go down and the, the highway. I remember when John Marks was working at the highway, he, he was kind of the reason that I got a record deal in a way. Cause I remember I was, I was playing a show with Cole Swindell on Joe's, uh, at Joe's on weed street up in Chicago and I was just kind of, I was on a roll a little bit as a writer and I was just playing just to kind of have fun and drink beer. Like <laughs> I wasn't really, I, I'd been in town for 10 years already at that point and I didn't think I was going to get a record deal. I mean, I'd heard no from every single label head multiple times. So I was like, all right, screw it. I'm going to make money writing songs and it's awesome. And I don't have to worry about staying in shape or anything. So <laughs> sure enough, I play the show at, at Joe's with Cole and there was a guy named John Marks there. I didn't know who he was. At the end of the show, he comes up. He's like, hey, man, have you ever heard of XM? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard about that, that that new thing, right? <laughs> like, of course, it's not new. It's been around. So like, yeah, yeah I've heard about it. And he goes, well, I, I run the highway. Dude, send me songs. And so I did. And like within a month, I was a highway find. And then a couple months later, I ended up getting a record deal. It was the weirdest thing ever, but... Right, I want to put pause on all that. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to slow your roll here. But I want to. I want to take a step back here before we get into that. That good stuff. And I'm going to. I'm going to use a segue here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's interesting because you mentioned the sports analogy. So I'm going to jump on that for a second. So yeah. take. Let's go way back. Right back to before you Nashville. You're you're, you're back in Washington and whatnot. Yeah. Were, at one point, were you into? Were you like a uh, like trying not for for baseball? Or were you like was baseball like something that you were that you were thinking loved, about pursuing at one point? Baseball loved football. I mean, it's it's kind of funny. I, I was the captain of my football team my senior year, which sounds kick ass if I just leave the story there. But <laughs> we were one and nine, so it's uh-huh. like, is that <laughs> is that is, is leadership effect for overall performance? Probably. Right. So, um, yeah, we were a terrible football team, but damn, it was fun. Um, baseball was was how we talked crap. I mean, that's literally in a football game, people would be beating our ass, and we'd be like, wait till baseball. Just wait, you know, <laughs> and of course we were so, we were a baseball town. So we, we kicked butt everywhere. And, um, yeah, I was, I thought I was going to be the next Jay Buner or something for the, so mayor. you decided that baseball to break it into to professional baseball was just a little bit too easy and decided to go for songwriting <laughs> instead. Yeah. Well, that was a funny thing too. So I, I had my spot on the, the, the little junior college and I ended up playing a show before the season and there's a, a professor there at, at Centralia college that was a buddy with a guy named Jimmy Ritchie, who was from Centralia, Washington. He was producing Jake Owen at the time and, and they happened to be at this bar. And so Jimmy's like, Hey man, you kind of suck right now, but <laughs> like work your butt off for six months and, and hit me up. I'll be back in six months. And so I, I quit everything. I quit friends. I quit baseball, quit everything and just focus as hard as I could on 
on on well here's another funny thing that somebody told me they're like man you're almost a good writer you need to get your heart broke about three more times <laughs> and so i was like all right i'd meet a girl and tell her i love her just to you know <laughs> just to get your heart broken <laughs> just, just, man, to, just throw to put, yourself into the pain just to put my life through hell right so i i mean it, it, well that's partly true like ha- had the big breakup type thing and it it's it freaking opened up my eyes to songs and songwriting and actually writing and he he comes back uh, six months later and I had like really only like one or two songs that were worth a darn and excuse me oh coffee huh and uh, he uh, he was like holy crap dude you're 18 years old writing songs like this like you got to move to Nashville now. And so I was talking to my family and they were supportive, but they're like, all right, just get your, get, get a two year degree and then go to Nashville. And so that's what I did. And I moved there September 13th, 2004. What'd you get your two year degree in? Just my AA associate associates and arts, or is that what it is? Oh, okay. Just so some, some level. Okay. Just yeah. To check. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Sometimes I'll tell some people that, yeah, they got this degree in like, you know, marketing. We're working at like, you know, wireless companies and then they just hard left turn, you know? So I should, like I should have went to like music business. That's what I, that's where I should have pointed everything. Well, but I, 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 I got a feeling that as we go through the course of this conversation that you're going to, you're going to uh, explain how you had a real life music one oh one. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. But, <laughs> oh um, my God. Yeah. So, you know, so you you know, how'd you you know what point did you? I mean, you, you talked a little bit about how you decided to make music a career. You're you know you were playing some songs, but like let's take maybe a little step before that. Like we all like a lot of people like music. A lot of people are into music. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people try to take the extra step to actually um, create and perform music. Right, that's like another level of what I would call fandom. And then of course is that final step of like actually making it a career. So just before you decided, you know, and you were you were told by the folks that that said that you had some talent and whatnot. When was the was there a, was there a moment or maybe one moment's too hard to pinpoint? But just explain how you kind of evolved from just someone who was who was consuming to someone who was creating music. Um. Wow. Well, it all started <laughs> with Bon Jovi, right? Oh my goodness, <laughs> the eighties, man, like. <laughs> Which I was, I was really too young to really appreciate Bon Jovi and Def Leppard until I was probably in, like, I don't know, in the '90s at some point where I was like cutting my jeans and getting in trouble for, for doing that crap. And I remember my cousin and I, who we played in a band together for 13 years, which is really cool. But b- back then, when we lived in the Northwest, we'd put on concerts and put our picture, like our family pictures up on furniture and stuff and perform in the living room. So it's like, we always had that, that sort of like, Oh man, how cool is this? Type that of itch. Yeah. And so for some reason I could always play piano. I don't know why I remember at one point when I was really young, my mom had me play that Richard Mark song right here waiting for you. When she recorded the hi, this is, Oh yeah. The answer machine you can't come to the phone right now. We'll be right here waiting for your uh-huh. call. That whole thing. Yeah totally cheesy. So I don't know how I could play, but I just could. And so then that, that kind of kept evolving along with sports because sports was King, you know, growing up, but anytime there was a karaoke thing or there was contest to win, whatever, my mom would be like, Hey, do you want to do this? And she was never like the, you need to do this, but she was, she was the mom where if I showed interest, she would put 
1000% behind me. And that was, that was really, that was really kick-ass. So then when it actually came time to, or, you know, when Jimmy and, and more and more music industry folks started being like, uh, you have something you, you need to do this for real. Once those conversations started to, to happen a little more then then my mom's like, I mean, if you want to do it, do it, but you know, don't, don't half-ass it, go as hard as you can. And, and so, I mean, I, I yeah, we, she helped me pack and move across the country. And so why Nashville though? I guess, I mean, there's lots of places you could go that's even closer. I mean, there's LA there. I mean, there's lots of other music places. Was it because country was the focus or was country there just music? Yeah. Okay. Country music. I've always loved country music. All right. So, so you know, that was, you knew that you knew that you wanted to get in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nashville became the target and you up and, and how old were you when you moved to Nashville? 21. 21. Okay. So, you know, good time, nothing to lose. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How was that transition? Like, you know, just rolling in and got your, got, got your record deal as you crossed the border. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I moved to town, uh, find this little apartment in Bellevue, which is about 20 minutes west of town and didn't know a soul. Um, tried to, tried to call, <laughs> I tried to call my buddy who told me to move there, but we just, it just didn't work out. We didn't connect. So it was like, all right, all right. I, if I'm going to do this, I, I got to do this my way without any help. So let's go. You know, I remember opening up, there was a magazine called the Nashville scene that had all the songwriter nights, all the open mic nights, all that stuff. And so I started going every single night. I think for the first six months that I lived in town, I was out every single night. That's just what you had to do. You had to go network and, and find your little team. But it was, it was funny, uh, going back a little bit, eight days into moving here, um, at a songwriter night. And so they say open mic night, but that doesn't start until about 2 AM after everybody else is finished. And so then waited till about 2 AM, got up, played my two songs, was like, yeah, I'm going to get noticed here. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm sure there was a record exec on Tuesday night at 2 a.m. here. He, they never were. But so on the eighth night, I went back home and opened up my apartment and everything was gone. <laughs> I, I'd been, uh, every, everything was stolen. So you, like, you were robbed. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty great. So I was like, wow, <laughs> here's a, here's a, is this a sign that I shouldn't be here or is this just a, all right, here's another notch in the story. Like just, <laughs> Get your heart broken in your apartment, Rob. That's yeah, the two things yeah, you need to be a successful songwriter. Is that exactly. It? Just store it and move on. And so luckily I was able to do that. And again, there's a just ode to how awesome my hometown is. They they held a little fundraiser. It was like a spaghetti feed. And they sent me like three grand to, oh. to help me, you know, re- replace some of the things. It was so neat, man. So neat. I, that is That is beautiful. Absolutely love that town. And luckily have been able to go back and, and we, we had a festival that we did there for uh, about 10 years and raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for that hometown. And it was, it was really cool. What we were able to do, but it wouldn't have happened without the support of, of that place. So it's oh, like, that's great. you hear so many stories about people going, you're never going to make it, you know, <laughs> but right. I, I had a completely different, uh, you had a lot of support. I mean, I've heard, I've heard that, that, that parental support has been a, a consistent theme throughout yeah. this show, talking to folks where they've had that strong, supportive 
backdrop, which yep. I'm sure is not always the case in the music business, right? right. Um, right. And uh, another thing, and obviously there's there's not more to it. But let me understand when when you you're coming to Nashville, what's your what is your goal at that time? Is is it is it to become a songwriter and get a pub deal, or is it to become a performer, get a record deal? What was, what, what were you aiming to do at first? I was going to be the next McGraw man. I wanted to be Tim McGraw. That's that. Okay, that was my plan. So I came here to be an artist. I didn't even know that there was a songwriting job. I didn't know. I didn't know that that was a thing. Really? <clears throat> Excuse me. No. So, um, after the, the robbing thing happened and I kind of licked my wounds and, and got back to being focused and why I was here, um, just started writing as much as I could and, and ended up getting my first publishing deal about 10 months into being in town. And that was a pretty neat thing because I met, a couple of great, great friends that first year, Josh Thompson and Michael Howard. And we were all unknowns. We were all just, you know, trying to find our way. And it, it's so funny. And another thing you, you start doing your research really quick and hear about the successful writers. And it's like, okay, I want to write with them. Well, they they're not going <laughs> to, they're not going to write with you. So it's like all, all your dream list of people that you want to write with they had to do the same thing that I was just now doing. I had to find my own little crew where you write, you say yes to everybody. You'll write with everybody until you kind of dwindle it down to the people that you either have the best time with in a room or you write the best song. And hopefully those two things are the same thing, you know? So yeah, your, your group just keeps getting smaller. But back then, uh, Josh, Michael and I wrote a song called church pews or bar stools. And it was in 2005, I think. And ended up getting pub deals. Well, ended up losing that pub deal. And then I lost the next pub deal. And now I'm on my third pub deal, which I've had for the last 10 years. But um, that song, Church Pews and Barstools, that was written in 2005 was was my first cut in 2010 on Jason Aldean's My Kind of Party. Okay. And that kind of changed everything. So let me unpack a couple of things here. Yes, because this is this is no, this is a good story. I like this. So one, you, you come in to be the next Tim McGraw. You didn't even realize that songwriting was a was like a profession. How did that How did that shift first happen? Like like when would you know? Was it just because you got there and everyone's like, oh, you know, you got to start songwriting before you can become a performer? Like you know, what was the? Where, how did your mindset change? Uh, just just from your peers and and getting counsel from publishers and being like, well, Hey, let's, let's, let's try to put you with every, every songwriter we can and let's get some good songs. Let's, let's really hone in on, on writing. Excuse me. That's a great Avenue to, to become an artist is mm-hmm. songwriting. And so that was the, my whole mindset changed. It was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. And then, Okay, shoot. Let me let me go back a little. Okay. So, um, we had written that one song in 2005 that mm-hmm. ended up being pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but from 2005 to 2010, I was in all sorts of different bands. <laughs> like, okay. we were still traveling like mad. And I remember having conversations with my mom going, man, I moved to Nashville, but I'm never here because I, I, I was a side guy. In a, in a band playing piano and banjo and guitar and harmonies and all this stuff. And it's like, wait, what? I'm a side guy. Like, this is so bizarre. And so <clears throat> after a year or so, then that changed. Then I kind of started my own band and 
then that failed and then had a new band <laughs> and and we <laughs> we kind of got a a grassroots record deal and it it you know it never went anywhere either but I kind of so this whole time you're still you're still pursuing performing you're writing but you're also trying to perform and, and you're kind of juggling these things a little bit yes absolutely absolutely so it, and then it, in 2010 is kind of when I decided okay I'm done touring I've been doing it since I was essentially 17 or 18 I'm I'm done with trying to get a record deal out on the road. It's not going to work. And so I'd got that, that first cut and then that led to a publishing deal with Sony ATV. And then it was like, okay, now I feel like I'm in the music industry. (laughs) Now they're putting me with those names that I was hearing about five years ago that are huge writers. And then those guys become your buddies and you're starting to write kick butt songs. But at the same time from, 2010 to 2014, I didn't have another cut. And so I remember um, it was 2013 around Christmas. I fly back home and I'm having a heart to heart conversation with my mom. And I'm like, mom, I'm coming upon 10 years of being in the music industry and or being in Nashville. And I've had one cut and I don't have, there isn't a record deal anywhere on the horizon. There isn't any more cuts anywhere on the horizon. I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to do. And so my mom just plainly says like, God gave you a gift. It's your obligation to share it with as many people as you can get your butt back to Nashville, show up with a smile on your face, work harder than you've ever worked, have a good attitude and good things will happen. And so I'm like, okay, cool. Good pep talk. So I get back to Nashville and my publisher, Mike Whalen, he, uh, he was one of the pluggers over at Sony and he calls the first week of 2014. So now I'm in my 10th year, the golden year. Right. And he, uh, he goes, wow, D- uh, Dustin Lynch and Al Dean cut a song this week. I'm like, Oh wow. Okay. So I'm calling mom going, Hey, okay. So <laughs> pep talk works. So like, yes, maybe I'm going to become a songwriter. Then the next week it was like the Swan brothers and, Montgomery Gentry and Love and Theft cut your songs. It's like, oh my gosh, okay. And the third week, it was the same thing. And the fourth week, I'm like, what is happening? And so I ended up starting 2014 on a on a high. And, and then I get a call that I'm getting a single on a band named Parmalee who have become mm-hmm. dear friends of mine. And it was a song called Close Your Eyes. And so that this thing... Comes out as a single, I think in February, I think, of 2014. <clears throat> and so a buddy of mine, Ash Bowers, who has now become one of the most badass songwriters, and now he runs a record label. He manages Jimmy Allen and Matt Stell and Chris Banny. He's just done great, fantastic things. And he's a dear friend. He he at the time, he was like, Man, Broken Bow Records keeps cutting your songs like you want to go meet the the head of the label and just say thanks? I was like, yeah, man, that'd be great. Now, mind you, they've already passed on me as an artist. So right. I, I go over and shake hands and the, the head of the label at the time, his name's Benny Brown. Great man. He goes, well, obviously, no, you can write songs. Can you sing? It's like, well, <laughs> I think, <laughs> you know, and so I play a couple songs and we have a good time, laugh and cut up. And about a week later, he calls me 
and this was th- this is April of 2014. Now he calls and he goes, "Well, I think we have something to talk about." And so I'm like, uh, "Okay." I go into his his office and he goes, "All right, well, you want a record deal?" I'm like, "You are kidding me!" Like I have tried so hard and I've given up on the the hopes and dreams that I'd ever land a record deal. So I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm in, let, let's do this. And it's just so, so crazy that four months before that, I'm having a conversation with my mom right around Christmas saying, I don't know if I'm supposed to be doing this. And then all of this happens. So it was really crazy how it all, how it all kind of the timing went down, but it was, it was such a, such a cool and, and great experience. And yeah, that's an amazing story. So, you know, you, you, you you do better than most folks coming into Nashville, which is like actually getting a cut within ten months. That's actually itself very rare. From well, what no, I, I, I didn't heard. get a cut within ten months, I, I got a, I got a publishing deal. Which which oh, excuse me, excuse me, that's what I meant. Sorry, publishing <laughs> it, deal. It took me right. like five years to get get my first cut. Right, but but even then, I've I've talked with folks that were ten years before they got anything. Like yep. they're ten in bar, you know, and so yep. um, so that's that's great. But then and then so then there's a lull. That's almost even more cruel. This feels like right, <laughs> yeah. and, and then when you're kind of when that lull is leading you, kind of you know thinking about maybe uh, switching gears, suddenly you have a four month run. Now, did anything particular happen in those four months that led to all those things happening, or was it just like the timing just happened to work out that you were working hard for all this time, and then it all just sort of started to click at once? Like, did you do anything different when you got back from that Christmas talk with your mom that led to those to, to that to that four month ramp up? I'd like to think that I did something different, but it it was luckily it my mom had, had had always instilled the work your butt off, have a good attitude right. type of mentality in me. And so, I mean, that's what I had been doing. I would, I would want to write, I'd want to treat it like any other job at a nine to five. And, and a lot of times it'd be shorter than that. And a lot of times it would be a lot longer than that. You know, you wouldn't get home until 10 PM because you're sure. so excited and you're recording and, and all this stuff. So it's, I think it was just, I, I get too eager and, and, and my patience runs out and it's like, I want it now. You know, it's my money yeah, and I want it yeah. now. Like, so. All I, right. I, 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 that's, that's certainly um, what happens sometimes is that you just, it's just those, those planets just align the right way. Mm-hmm. So you, so you do all this, but then, but now you got a record deal again. So right, and now are you back to juggling songwriting and performing again? Or what was yes. the, how, and, how did that all work and out? And then I had a whole nother mental dilemma because i'm like all right for the last 10 years i've had a sheet every single monday that says tip sheet what the artist is looking for what a and r is looking for for the artist you have what you're trying to write for you have something to chase and all of a sudden i become an artist which i've i've always dreamed of doing but it, it had been so long since i'd wrapped my head around being an artist and who I am as an artist that I didn't know what songs I wanted to sing or write. And it was such a weird, once again, weird transition. And I can just imagine like you spent all this time writing for others. Yeah. Now you got to write for yourself. And it's like, you've been writing based on the direction that you got from those others. Now you're the one providing that direction. And it's almost like you got to find that compass point again. Absolutely. And I wasn't good at it. I was still going, well, I, I I would still try to cherry pick from other artists and other songs that I liked. And I, and I don't know if that's right or wrong. I have no idea. There's not a textbook to flip open to chapter, blah, 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 of artistry. You know, there just isn't. Yeah. And so 
I would just still try to cherry pick whatever it was and, and try to come up with the the best song that I could write and the best song that I could write with my co-writers. And, and I mean, we definitely got so many great songs and, and that's what's also been really neat about post artist career. So that was six years. There's six years of, of writing songs for me, but also just like, Oh, let's just try to write the best song. So now I have this stockpile of songs that now my publishers are like, Holy smokes, we can pitch all of these <laughs> and, and not, I mean, obviously not all of them because some of them sure. suck still. Of course. But, well, uh, hey, you know, they're, they're just like, wow, there's a stockpile of all these songs that we, we never could pitch before because there's also a weird little rule in Nashville where, Oh, they're the artists. So if you pitch a song to another artist, that that camp's going to go, well, if it's so good, why didn't they cut it? And so you, you kind of run into that yeah. a little bit. Um, but yeah, now that's now it's it's full steam ahead on uh, my favorite part of this town, which is is landing on a record and, and having another artist sing the songs that, that you had a hand in writing. And I mean, it's, it's well, yeah, well, well, but hold up. So so you 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 were the the artist thing. So you got that record deal. You did it for a while. Did did that. Did you consciously decide to to end that and just go whole hog back into songwriting again? Well, yeah, I mean, my artist career was from 2014 till 2019, June, July 2nd. Oh, just last year. Okay. And it was awesome. I had three singles. Um, I had one that went to 30 on the charts or 32 on the charts, and it was awesome. It, 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 it got me the – it lent me the opportunity to go to all 50 States, go down to Mexico and play the Grand Ole Opry three or four times and, and see everything that I've ever wanted to see and more. I couldn't even imagine that it would have led me to, to the opportunity to do that and be on the Luke Bryan tour and play Bridgestone arena. And it's so crazy. I remember it was May 5th of 2017 I was playing the Bridgestone Arena in front of a sold-out crowd. I was the opener. It was me, Brett Eldridge, and Luke Bryan. And I remember having a moment on stage where I was like, I started on this street because, you know, Bridgestone Arena is on Broadway. Right. <laughs> it's like I started on this street at the second fiddle playing for tips and having a higher bar tab than we had tips. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> I was paying to play <laughs> and entertain tourists and to have a full circle moment and and i you know my family got to be out here for that and dude that was such a a just gratifying moment of wow okay i've done it and 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 then i don't know it's then it ended (laughs) and so like that song peaked it was called just a phase and it took about another year or so to get another single out and that was called if you're lucky and uh, unfortunately it didn't it didn't chart or anything and at that point there was so many so many things that it, that were happening in my life like we were out in that vegas thing on mm. october 1st and that that was crazy then like my single didn't work and we had my my niece passed away and it was like there were so many things that it were just I, I couldn't I couldn't put myself or anybody else through trying to release another song as an artist. It, I was going to have a mental breakdown. Okay. <laughs> I was going to lose it if I had any more 
heartbreak or, or whatever, like tension or, or hard time sure. hardships. So I, I had the conversation with my fiance, with my parents and I was like, guys, I think I'm done. Like I, and so I, I remember July 2nd, I had a meeting with the, my manager and the label and they're like, well, we don't think we're going to release another song on you. I was like, okay, well then we're good. Right. Like we, we don't have to do this anymore. And so everyone's like, okay, that's, that's fine. It's like, well, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not tucking tail and leaving town. I'm, I'm, I'm going to write. And that, that just the encouraging encouragement from everybody going, yes, send us everything type of deal. So it was a very hard time. I mean, cause that's your dream. That's, that's what you move here for. That's what you feel like you're put on earth to do. And when that goes away, that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. But then well, I would imagine sometimes it could also be really relieving at the same time. It's like having absolutely. that burden off of you and then yep. and suddenly everything becomes clear. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, no, you're exactly. I think everyone is has moments of law of that in their own careers where they just sort absolutely. of. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that it, it was then getting in the mindset of, all right, like I, I have this wealth of knowledge of everything from on the road, just pivot all of that into the song and the relatability to new artists to, you know, be it not mentor at all, but like just be able to relate to what they're going through or about to go through and the hardships and, and then the celebration times, like everything, you know, like you just really get to, to have a good grasp on a direction and a plan. And I don't know, I, I it, it obviously all works out like it's supposed to. And, and, it's it's been pretty awesome this other than the pandemic i cannot understand the pandemic but it has been so awesome just to write songs and not be gone six months out of the year that's really interesting now you know we most of the time on the show i like I, we focus on you know more business related type stuff but i i see to ask like the experience of having been that performer artist recording artist for so long and being on that side of the spectrum as well as being a writer does now that you've sort of focused your energies on the pure writing component of it for those other artists is having been in their shoes to a certain extent. Does that help you in, in writing for them? Do you feel like it gives you maybe an edge or, or an advantage over songwriters that have never really had that same experience or I don't, how does that play into it? I don't think there's an advantage because some of my favorite songwriters, the most, some of the most brilliant minds were never artists. They they were just these badass minds that were put here to write. So I, I don't think there's an advantage. I think there's just perspective. I think mm. I've had that and I can commiserate and co-celebrate with them type of thing. Like <laughs> we could, it's just, you're, you're, I, I don't know. You can be on the same mental level with, with an, with an artist and, and be excited for them and champion for them. And, and if they ask, I don't know what to do, but I definitely know what not to do type of thing, you know? Mm. So I guess there's, there's that part. No, it's interesting. It's like, I've talked with folks that have sort of been on both sides of this. I've, mm-hmm. you know, we've had to come, I've had conversations with folks. I've worked with folks, you know, uh, who, you know, began songwriting and then they decided they were going to go full bore into their, into their recording career. And they just would, you know, they work with us to sell all their, uh, all their old songwriting, um, uh, interests to kind of create what they were what they would call a creative break like they spent so much time trying to work this catalog of songs that they wrote for others they didn't have any time to write this music for themselves so they, they would do that so it's it's also interesting seeing the opposite it's like okay you know what you know uh, it, it's juggling both just seems to be really hard to do i just can't imagine how like i'm a writer but not a songwriter right i write 
stories. I, I, I ghost write for, you know, you know, people and things like that. And so I have a, a, I could just a, the slightest inkling of what it might be like creatively to try to have two minds. It's almost like that's what you're doing. You know, it's almost like you have two different minds. And so just to have one mind has got to be so much more clarifying than anything I could think of. This is the best job I've ever had. <laughs> so let's talk about the job part for a second. You mentioned like, you, you know, you, you, you talked a couple about a couple of different publishing deals and how some of them you, you would lose this publishing deal or how do you lose a publishing deal? Oh man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where do I start? No. Uh, <laughs> well, the first one that I ever had, I was so young. I didn't know the business at all. Um, I've signed that publishing deal. Oh goodness. Let's see. In July or August of 2005, I think. And I, at the same time, I was also hired to be this side guy, side musician in this band. And so in my 21 year old head, or I guess I'd be 22 at that time. I'm like, Oh, I've made it. I'm on easy street now. And so then I didn't write. Cause I was, I was gone all the time. So by not meeting your quota and not writing, that's one way to lose a public. My second one, I did kind of the cardinal sin where uh, I had a, a manager who was also the record label head, who was also the investor who was also my publisher and he's a good guy. He's a good guy, but you can't do that. <laughs> you you just can't have all of your eggs in one basket. Cause there's just interest. I'm not saying it did interest may get a little, I don't know. The water might get muddy. So it just didn't work out. Right. So sure. Um, I guess I didn't lose that second one. I ended up getting, that, that song on the Aldine record in 2010. So I had that publishing deal from probably 2007 to 2010. And it essentially just expired. It, it the, yeah, okay, I get it. the contract ran out and I went with Sony. <clears throat> I wanted, I wanted to be on a, on, on the Yankees, you know, the, that's the biggest publisher in the world. And so mm -hmm. I, I wanted to be a part of that team and, it's been a great relationship for going on 10 years now. All right. Great. So, I mean, this, this has all been fascinating stuff. Um, I definitely like the idea of, uh, you know, the, the different publishing deals, you know, one, you know, meet your quota <laughs> Two, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And, and, you know, and then three, you know, look for the right, the right team for you, I think are the, are the three big takeaways there. Right. Like if you're looking to be on the, the Yankees, be on the Yankees, right? Like that, yeah. that sort of thing. Yep. Love it. So what's next for you? What do you got? What's, what's coming up? Man, I have, uh, have a new single on a badass artist. Her name is Megan Patrick. Um, so she is like uh, Reba or Shania or Elvis or who she's like the biggest act in Canada. And she, 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 she dates uh, Mitchell, uh, Mitchell Tenpenny. They're the coolest people ever. Um, she's, she's cracking into the, the U S market and, yeah, I'm so thankful. I, I have her uh, first U.S. single called uh, "My First Car," so nice. I'm over the moon about it. Um, these people have become dear friends, and uh, couldn't be more excited. And, and 
that's pretty cool. cool. <laughs> that's cool. that's pretty cool. It's pretty funny when when the new head of Sony, Rusty Gasson, came in. We we sat down for breakfast months ago before before it was actually official. So this was last year, twenty nineteen. And he's like, "Hey, man, you know, I've always known about you. We've never really crossed paths. So send me three of your favorite songs that you've ever written." So I did, and that led to the phone call. I'm like, "Uh, yeah, let's go get breakfast. Let's talk." And so then we sat down at a, a place on West End. He's like, dude, you have something like you need, like, give me 18 months and I'm going to make you the next Ben Hayslip or Red Atkins or Neil Thrasher, whatever. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) I love this plan. Excuse me. And so that, I mean, fired me up as, 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 as it would anybody, you know, just hearing anytime somebody sees what you think you have, (laughs) like, that is that's the coolest coolest thing ever. So it it fired me up, made me want to write. I mean, when that pandemic first started, we were writing six days a week. Like we were writing on Sundays just because it was another day. It's like, well, we're sitting at home doing nothing anyway. Let's yeah, right, let's write. Now it didn't help when I had my little stint of I forgot how to do this. <laughs> that mm-hmm. whole I don't know how to write a song anymore. But it, that had to happen to to work through it and and just bite and claw and screw whatever like just to get through that to to get on the other side and then be more creative than i ever have and and it was really cool when i started getting calls about cuts and then having my first single as transitioning back as a full-time songwriter in nine months i think when when we we heard about that so i remember having the conversation with rusty going well i'm halfway into my 18 month thing. And I already got a couple cuts and, and a single. So um, I'm fired up and it, you know, it's all because of you type of thing. <laughs> so it, it's really, right really And so where do people, uh, you know, if, if anyone wants to follow you online or anything like that, you on the socials, are you doing that whole thing or I don't do it as much, but yeah, okay. I, I'm, I pretty much just use Instagram. I, I use Facebook for marketplace cause I always buy stuff I don't need, but um, <laughs> <laughs> like, well, like, how do they find it? How, how, do, how do people follow you on instagram if they want to uh it's adam craig official adam craig official all right great and so and no you, you're not you're not you're not doing any performing no no dates or anything like that to, yeah to, i play to, the listening room quite a bit which is the most kick-ass room in nashville uh, have you ever been there no i have not Dude, it's so not listen, i've been to nashville but not the listening room yeah the listening room so these guys have i mean they already before the pandemic they they're it's such a wonderful place for guys like me, girls like, or not girls like me, but guys and girls <laughs> to, to go and still itch that scratch of wanting to play and want to, wanting to perform, but not having to travel 800 miles to do it type of thing. There it's this room, right? Right on fourth Ave. And you have, three or four people on stage and a packed crowd. And you get to tell your stories about your songs and sing them and, and perform and get, get feedback from a crowd of, if you're onto something. And it's just, the, it's the neatest thing. And even through the pandemic, they were still open and we were still able to play and, and still, still able to be on stage and do what we love to do. And so I'm actually playing there again on this Saturday. So that'll oh, be fun. Right. Playing with Megan Patrick and Adam Sanders. So yeah, it'll be okay. a good time. Well, listen, man. This is this is anything else you want to that you want to you know bring up, point out, promote, uh, you know, uh, recommend <laughs> anything uh, before we uh, before we wrap it up man, today. I don't, I don't think so. All right, that's cool. 
No, this has been great. It's a great story. I mean, I really love the persistence. You know, I love the the that that's the the sort of the background of like uh, you know juggling those two camps and sort of the clarity that so that focusing really provides. I think it's a beautiful story, and I think Thank that uh, you know if anyone needs to uh, double down on Mother's Day kind of going forward, it's you. So. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. All right. Well, listen, man. Thanks for taking the time today. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You've just listened to another episode of the Big Break Podcast. The Big Break is brought to you by Royalty Exchange, an online marketplace matching artists with investors. If you'd like to see if there's an investor interested in your music catalog, simply connect your PRO account to our platform for an instant analysis. Once connected, you can start reviewing offers immediately, or if you like, you can test the marketplace by setting your own asking price. Artists have raised more than $81 million debt-free through the Royalty Exchange marketplace without giving away any of their rights. We provide the financial security you need to achieve full artistic freedom. Visit www.royaltyexchange.com today. I've been your host, Anthony Bruno. Please check the show notes to learn how to follow me or this week's guest. And if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this show, please drop us a line at press at royaltyexchange.com. Many thanks to our producer, John Jestel, our audio engineer, David Burns, and to the entire songwriter community for continuing to put your hearts and souls into the music we all love. Thanks for listening. <laughs>